Yeah, thanks for this opportunity. This is um, the worst church to preach at. And it's because of the spiritual depth in this room. I mean, we have hitters at this church. And so it really is an honor just to be up here and preach to a crowd that's so loaded. It really is an honor. Um, I'm going to introduce our team that went to Croatia with me. And it was uh, Grayson Copley. Where are you? Stand up real quick, buddy. That's him. And Dylan Lowry, stand up. It was us three. Woo! And so... This was my first trip that I was leading, and so my number one requirement is that they're 18, so if they died, it was their fault, not mine. And so I definitely needed 18-year-olds with me. Um, and Grayson had just got back from Egypt and Djibouti, and he was a, had been a missionary for two months before that. And so I just knew, like, he knew kind of almost more about the mission field than I did. I was like, dude, you have to come. But the hard one to get was Dylan, because he was graduating high school. It was his last two weeks of school, and I didn't know how I was going to get him out here. And he has a real call on his, his life, and he's an evangelist to the max. And so I gave his dad a phone call. I was like, Adam, I don't have an evangelist. What's the point of this trip if I don't have an evangelist? I don't even think we should go if I can't bring Dylan. I am doing, like, everything I can. And his... And Adam has, like, tons of character, and he was like, well, I felt like he was supposed to be on this trip, but I wasn't sure. I didn't want to, you know, just because I'm the associate pastor, I didn't want to make my kid come. And I was like, yeah, stop being weird. Just make him come, you know. Like, I need him. And so by the end of that, we had us three going to Croatia for Ukrainian refugees. And then to introduce me a little bit, I'll just tell you what I'm not. I'm not a missionary. I'm not an evangelist, and I'm not really like an intercessor. Intercessors, you guys are amazing. The prayer and war that you put in for us so that we can encounter Jesus the way we do is absolutely amazing. And so I am none of those things. The only thing that I am is a friend of Jesus. I'm an absolute friend of his. There's a Bible verse, Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Is that possible to get up? I'll just read it to you. Oh, look at this. Okay, mine's a little different. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And I've heard this scripture scare a lot of people. Because but I read this and I was like, suckers. Because look, I know that I know him. That is the key here, is that you know him. That you absolutely can say, I know Jesus Christ. And if you don't, we're going to give you an opportunity at the end of the service to create that relationship. But that is the most important thing, that you know that you know him. Okay? And I know that I have a friendship with him. And see, the thing with friends is they love each other's interests. Have you ever had a friend that's just like one-sided? And it's like all about them all the time? And it's like cool for a minute, but you get bored pretty quick. Jesus is completely into my life, and I am completely into his. All right, I'll give you an example of that. I love cycling more than a lot of things, okay? And uh, we're trying to fly back from Croatia to America as cheap as possible, and the cheapest way to do it was to go through the, uh, a little city called Budapest in Hungary. And so we're going to take like a two-day debrief there, and I was like, is there any like bike racing happening that happens to go through there. This is Eastern Europe. Bike racing doesn't really happen here. But the tour of uh, Italy, the Giro Italia, started in the host country of Budapest this time. And I was like, 
Thank you, Lord. And the thing that I like almost maybe more than cycling is a cyclist named Matthew Vanderpool. He, yes, they know. And um, his, in the 70s, his grandpa would have been the best in that generation, but the greatest of all time. Eddie Merckx was in that generation. And so he was a name forgotten because of, he still, if you're into cycling at all, the first name you learn is Eddie Merckx. He was the best in the 70s. And still, like, there's no one that's beaten any of his, like, records. And so his grandpa was phenomenal. His dad was a mid-pack cyclist, was, like, all right, okay? Matthew Vanderpool is an absolute monster, and destroys everybody all the time. But I never thought I'd have a chance to actually see him. But the Lord takes interest in the things that I'm interested in and sets up these opportunities because I'm his kid and he loves me a ton. Okay? And so I want to play this video. If you can hear me, this is equal to, like, teenage girls seeing Elvis is, like, how I feel. And you can actually hear, you can actually hear me say, he's coming, if you listen really closely. And this was not projected, okay? We had climbed this mountain for like a half hour to get to the top of the finish of the first stage of this race. Okay, let's watch this. That was me. That's And this is me losing complete control. Running down. Okay, I did not make that choice, <laughs> all right? My body just started running up the hill. And this is the kind of joy the Lord takes in his children, that he sets up opportunities like this. But like I said, it is, it is a two-way relationship. And when he's in something and he invites me into it, it is serious business, okay? Um, let's see where I'm at. Okay, when Russia crossed over into Ukraine, for me, it was like it was happening in my own streets. Every time I'd see a children's hospital blown up or see someone on the ground for whatever. And look, there's a lot of sad things in the world. You have to weep over the ones God calls you to weep. Otherwise, you'll never get anything accomplished, okay? But this was something that he has invited me into. And I don't watch the news. I don't care. And I started watching European news and German news to get a grip of what was happening over there. And I could not get off the floor. I would weep for, I mean, I would weep for a half hour in the shower, in the car, at night. It didn't matter. This burden was put on me. And I would intercede. Psalms 42.7 says, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. That is what this felt like, okay? All his breakers and all his water was washing over me. And I could feel how much his heart hurt over this. It even came to the point where I started to lose faith. And you're like, wait, how can you pray and lose faith? And I actually think that's a part of the process sometimes when we really press into him is that we start to actually, you see in the book of Habakkuk where he's this like prophet, biblical prophet, who actually starts to like lose faith that God's ever going to move. Um, but sometimes to get revelation, you have to let go of your old ideas. You have to give up some of the ideas that you have and you have to let go of your ideas so that you have a place for revelation to land. And so I started, I uh, went to my house, I, I was home alone, I put worship in. How do we enter his presence? With thanksgiving. Our youth knows this. This is something you have to have absolutely key in your life. When you enter his presence, you always enter with praise. He's worthy no matter what. 
And so I went home, I put worship music on, and I was like, I need you to show up because I am actually, like, losing hope. And I was sitting in a church service, I think, and there was, like, this happy, like, yes, Lord, song. And I thought, wow, easy for you to say. And I was like, that was, like, my flag of, like, whoa, like, I'm actually, like, losing my faith here. And so I got before the Lord and worshiped, and it took, like, a half hour. And then all of a sudden, this number came across in my mind, 2.7 million refugees flee. And I was like, you're the God of Exodus. You've written a book on it. You are in this situation. You are getting them out. This is your hand in every single person's life. And I all of a sudden was restored with this brand new hope because I got rid of my old ideas of what it would look like and got revelation. Now I was loaded. Now I got scary, okay? And so you have to wait for the word of the Lord to get revelation. And that will give you your vision to cast out, okay? And so... Um, that, it was that Tuesday, we went to youth, we're, I was like, we're going to try intercession, and this is something we haven't done, we do worship, we do games, we haven't done intercession really, like, and I pulled like the leaders around me, and I was like, look, we're going to try intercession tonight, this was after, um, I had like this new hope, and I said, if it doesn't last 10 minutes, that's fine, I got better things to do besides to pretend to be spiritual when I ain't, like, and we do too, and so we're going to give it 10 20 minutes max, and if it's not happening, we're out of there. The spirit, we put on music. We didn't have a worship leader. We put music on, and the spirit of God fell so heavy. It was, I mean, there was kids, there's one kid that ran up to me, ran up to me and grabbed my shoulder. He's like, I felt him. This time, I felt him. And I was like, all right, man. Like, he's like, I know he's real. I know he was with me this time. And, uh, and at the end, I was like, okay, time to head home. And they were like, what? Everyone had thought they'd been in worship for like 15, 20 minutes. Is this right? Everyone thought they were in worship for like 15, 20 minutes. We were in worship for an hour and a half. We were in intercession for an hour and a half. So that is what I actually think broke, helped break this trip loose was that night that the kids just totally. And look, the Lord gives you an invitation. You have to take it. The kids took it. It was on them. They took it. And so we went on vacation um, pretty much directly after this, and I had felt kind of a release from the Ukraine thing at this point. And so we get back, and, um, well, first of all, we have a girl in our youth group that is from Ukraine that is here for a year because she's a refugee. I'm like, what? Like, that's my first time. Like, God, you're doing something. And then Pastor Melinda comes up, and all of a sudden she has a connection with these missionaries that Emily was talking about. And so she had a, um, a missionary night where she met with them. And I, we couldn't make it to that because Steph was working. And, uh, but Julie and Andre are the missionaries over there. I should have a picture of them. I don't. Um, but they're, they're really amazing people. And sh- they grew up in Ukraine, went to college in Ukraine, had careers in Ukraine, got radically saved, and knew they had a call to be missionaries on their life and super like signs and wonders God told them to go to Croatia and so they packed up they quit their careers there was a little tiny church that offered them a little tiny house like eight miles outside of town of this littlest town I mean and so they head there and they're like what did we do (laughs) like their house is destroyed they're living in this house that's completely destroyed and uh and they interceded for Croatia and interceded and interceded and prayed and prayed. And then five years later, five years, this war broke out. 
And every person they had that was in harm's way they could find a house for. Because she was good at building relationships and serving her community in very simple ways for five years. That when she went to the people of the town and said, we need your help, they said, we'll do anything to help you. And so they, said, they offered up their homes, their space. And these aren't big American homes, okay? These are homes the size of this stage. And they said, sure, bring another family in. We'll take them. And they had over uh, uh, 30 families that they took in this way. And so just absolutely amazing. These, it doesn't matter if they're Christians. Some are Christians. Some are not. Some don't have uh, any, any faith at all. And so our plan there, Jesus washed the feet before he died on the cross. And so our plan was just to go there and wash the feet and then bring salvation at the end if it was optional. But we just wanted to serve them. We weren't there as like high and mighty or had anything to offer. We were just there to get as low as we could and say, can we wash your feet? Can we serve you in any way? And so our first night there was, I don't know, 15 kids and a few uh, like 10, 12 adults. And we were just playing games and making up games and having fun and the boys are going psycho and uh, they were like Americans are crazy (laughs) and and so but they were just playing this and I got to talk to Pauline and Sergey which were um, she was a marketer and he was like an IRS agent for Ukraine he worked for the government and we were just talking and I was like can you tell me about it and they said everything was normal everything was fine and then within 48 hours we heard explosions very normal, productive life with normal problems. And all of a sudden, they started to hear. And they had a three-hour window to decide to get out of there. They packed up everything they had. They drove for four and a half nights to Croatia because they had a connection with Julia. And they brought a dog, two kids. And at that point, the mom starts to cry. And she's like, my children hate me. They said, we'd rather live and get killed in Ukraine than live here because they just lost everything. And the pain of the kids was so strong. And the two girls um, were twins, and they wouldn't talk. They were very quiet. And you could just see, and we just, we just said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. We're so proud of you. The whole country, our whole country is watching you. We're so proud of you. And there was um, some teenage girls that night that were 14, 15. And uh, we just said, this is the hardest time of your life, no matter what. Like, I don't care if you're in Ukraine, America, or on the moon. 13, 14, 15 are still the worst years of my life. Like, <laughs> like I can't imagine going through a war, like, in the middle of this. And we're so sorry. And they broke instantly. They were so soft from this. And uh, there was one girl who, red, eye, red contacts, bigger than her eyes, black trench coat, a pentagram the size of a hubcap, and dead thing rings <laughs> of, like, skulls and all this. And I felt God on her right away. I was like, oh, boy, you're in trouble. <laughs> and, uh, and so we just reached out to her, and she had scars on her face. And, and so we just hung out and befriended her. And we just built relationship for the next four or five days. We showed pictures of our family, asked about their family, what we'd like to do. One of the girls was like a Dancing with the Stars ballroom d- 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 dancer at home. And her dad was like a famous kickboxer. <laughs> but, like, she was now in a farm town with nothing. I mean, everything stripped away. Great things stripped away. And so the only preaching we would do, really, at this point is just tell them, like, God is not religion. God just loves you and wants relationship with you. You don't even have to change right now. Like, he just wants you to invite him into your heart. That's all he needs. And so we, and then I would just kind of say that and back off. Say that and back off. 
our last night there, or second to last night, we, um, we got a van. Well, Andre, he was like, can you drive stick? I was like, I have before. And he was like, cool, here's a bus. We're going to fill it full of kids, and we're going to drive two and a half hours. And we had a blast driving there. I was, like, stalling it on purpose, sometimes not on purpose, and, and, <laughs> on purpose. And I'm like, whoops. And so we were just having a blast, like, and, like, driving there and singing. We had the radio up, and we had all these kids in the car, and they were, it was a blast. And I, I gave the same sermon, like, earlier that day for, like, three, four, five minutes where I was just like, hey, he cares about you. He loves you. And then at, at the it was at a church. This two-and-a-half-hour drive was a different town, and Julie had access to a church there, just a church building that was connected to a house with friends she knew. And so we had a church service in there. And I knew this is why I had Dylan and Grace in there. Uh, Dylan preached a sermon that he had preached at youth about just giving your life completely to Jesus. And uh, Grayson was playing guitar, and the Spirit of God fell. And we asked, we said, who wants a relationship with Jesus? And the girl with the pentagram was the first hand up. And she, she had her hand straight up in the air. And me and Dylan look at each other. And we're like, ah! And, like, and Grayson's in the back playing guitar. And we start to prophesy over them. And every time, this isn't us. This is the power of God, you understand? We were goofy. This is the power at best. This is the power of God completely for their situation. And every time we would pray, I, our prophecy was junk, right? Like, we would just be like, God loves you and cares about you. And we'd see like a little picture. They'd be on the floor, completely wiped out. It wasn't like future prophecy. It was just encouraging words that would totally had them on the floor. And the presence of God was so thick in there. And so uh, that was our second to last night. And we were driving home, this two-and-a-half-hour drive, and the kids were, like, on fire driving home. They're like, wait, if he died on the cross, he got back up, what's that mean? So are we friends? What happens if I mess up? And they are grilling us about faith for two-and-a-half hours on the way home. What did I just do, and what does it mean? Because they are, like, they encountered the love of Jesus. They didn't hear about God. They encountered the love of Jesus, and they need to know everything right now. And so they are completely like, we're like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I actually haven't thought about that. Like, you know, I don't know. Eh? Ask a pastor, you know. And, uh, and so we are like, but they are completely like, something happened to them. Something absolutely happened to them. And so I had, uh, I woke up that morning, I just played roulette with my Bible where you just open it and read, you know. And I opened up it up to Isaiah 55, 10 through 13. Can we get that up real quick? And this was our last, this was our very last day with them. If we can, it's okay. I'll just read it to you. Isaiah 55, 10 through 13. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed. For the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth will not return empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve its purpose for which I sent. And so I read that. I was like, thank you, God. Like, you did permanent damage here. Like, this is amazing. So we eat, uh, we go out to lunch, dinner at someone's house that we hadn't met before. He's like, you know what scripture has really been on my mind all day? And he reads me Isaiah 55, 10 through 13. And I was like, you actually did it. You really did it. 
And um, we meet with the Ukrainians one more time, and we're like, oh, read the book of Matthew. Start there. I don't understand the whole book either. Good luck. You know? And, uh, but we just kind of preach to them, like, one more time. And we just kind of say, start here. This is the best thing I can give you is just to start reading the book of Matthew. Just start there. And, uh, and a guy came up to me at the end. He's like, I have a gift for you. He was Ukrainian. And he was saved, and he said, Isaiah 55, 10 through 13, I want to read it to you. And I am, like, broken on the floor. Because three times that day, the Lord let us knew permanent damage happened that day. I want to read you another verse. Matthew 9, 35. Is that possible? It, it, it's not her fault. It's mine. I sent her. Oh, wow. <laughs> My notes look like hieroglyphics. <laughs> like, they look like, like, yeah, it looks like a crossword puzzle. <laughs> and so if they can't find them, it's not their fault. Matthew 9, 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news and healing every disease and sickness. What diseases? Every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord for the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to harvest his fields. You guys, there are fields that are so ripe. Sometimes we hear the scripture, and we're like, we should be evangelizing all day. I don't do anything. It's so easy. Why can't I do it? Like, but this is saying that there's a circumstance where the field is, like, beyond ripe. And it's where Jesus' power is moving. He's literally healing every disease and his compassion, and he sees uh, sheep without a shepherd. That was this situation. That's why evangelism was so easy there. That's why you didn't have to be evangelist or prophet or intercessor to move in the power. And so th- this place is like so green, okay? And so I don't know. We're still kind of figuring out what like our plans are with this. But anyway, you want to get involved, it's like the biggest bang for your buck. <laughs> I'm telling you. But I think th- there's coming a time in this world where it's going to be like that because this story uh, – What's happening in the world? It's spreading, man. And these ripe fields are going to be so ripe for plucking. These people were soft. They were soft. They were willing to take any ounce of hope you could give them. And then you actually bring them power, it's over with. Do you understand? And so we're about to see an entire world that is ripe, that just needs an ounce of hope, all right? And we're going to come with power. Not just good doctrine, but power. And that's going to change the lives of people. All right? This is the last thing I have to say. There's some of you, when I talked about knowing Jesus, and maybe you've done good things, and, but you're like, I don't know him. I don't actually know that I know him, okay? Look, I will tell you, unless you're another multimillionaire, if you hang out with millionaires, it will actually destroy you. Because I've seen this. i actually like seen this. Someone with great wealth tries hanging out with millionaires, and it destroys them because they spend $350,000 on the weekend. They go take a private jet and play around in yachts for a half a million over a week. It will destroy you. And how much greater is being with someone who is holy and righteous would destroy you. And so you even see in the Old Testament, when even the most holy, like Moses, when Jesus or when God would talk to them, he would easily hide his face from them because his holiness and righteousness would absolutely destroy them. 
all right? But his number one point for us was relationship. But our sin completely destroyed that. And so if we got into his presence with our sin, it would actually destroy us completely because of our unrighteousness. And so Jesus came to earth, died on the cross to bridge that, to bridge that completely. And how that happened, because all the sin that we had, there had to be consequence. There has to be judgment. Because if God, every Hitler and whoever else you want to put in there, if he doesn't punish him, it's like, oh, that's cool. I just love everyone. You can't trust a God like that. That's a psychopath. And so there has to be a judgment day for everybody, okay? That's a fact. And so when we get to our judgment, we get to say the blood of Jesus paid for everything. That's why he had to die on the cross. And at that point, I am now welcomed back into his presence with complete, the veil has lifted completely. And I get to be in relationship with with him. And when he sees me, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because I worked so hard, because it wasn't about the prophesying or any of that stuff. It was because I took the blood of Jesus and and accepted him as my Lord and Savior. If you have not done that, I want to give you that opportunity today, because that is the biggest thing, is to become friends with Jesus, so that you can share in his adventures, and he can share in yours. So so, uh, let's have everyone stand up real quick. Is that okay? We're just going to pray a prayer. Yeah. Thank you, God. Thank you that you're here. Thank you that you're Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus, I thank you that you died on the cross for us, that you poured out your spirit on the cross, Lord. And I just want you to repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I give you my life. I offer you everything. And I will take all of you. Please be my Lord, my God, my Savior, and my friend. All right. Amen. All right. Thank you, guys.